it is, uh, it is exciting this time of year. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that he set us free. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at um, three, three portions of scripture this morning that I believe will, will paint a picture that is extremely important to internalize, especially this time of year, to actually live by. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, John chapter 1, John chapter 3. We'll probably just read the scripture for the next half an hour. But there's three, three portions of scripture that I want us to focus on. Because I really believe uh, that it's not just a cliche that God coming to us was unexpected. I believe it still is. And the reason he came, I believe, is still unexpected in a lot of our lives. And so we're going to look at that today. So we're going to read from Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. We actually read this, a bit of this scripture a couple weeks ago. And so we're going to, we're going to do it again today. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Stand to your feet in honor of the word. If you're new here today, we do this every Sunday when we read God's word. So Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 18, say amen if you're ready. That's pretty good. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And some uh, translations of the Bible, it actually says translated means God with us. We're going to skip to John chapter 1, verse 9 now. John writes this in his first chapter of his book. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Last portion of Scripture here, John chapter 3, verse 16. This is the first this is the first scripture I ever memorized growing up in church. Anybody else? Anybody in Berkeley Springs memorized John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because of their works were evil. 
For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. Lord, we thank you that you came. Lord, we thank you that you're with us right now. And we pray, Lord, that as we're together in your presence, that you change us, that your word would change us, renew our minds. Let us be more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. God with us, that statement right there is a big deal. You know, the Bible, nowhere in Scripture does it promise that you'll never get sick. Nowhere in Scripture does it promise that you'll never be poor. Nowhere in Scripture does it promise that you will never have relational difficulties. Nowhere in Scripture does it promise that you'll never have difficulties with children or um, work or anything like that. What it does promise us is that God is with us. You see, as believers, we have a trump card in the whole deal. We're not doing any of this on our own. We're not doing it by ourselves. Even if, even if it seems like you're by yourself right now, you're not. Because he said that God is with us, that, that the, what we would call him is God with us. When he ascends into heaven at the end of his, after he's resurrected, he looks at the disciples, he says, go into all the world and make disciples teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I will be with you until the end. It's the one overarching promise that God has made to us, that he will be faithful, he will never leave us or forsake us. He is with you. Look at your neighbor right now and say, even if I ain't, God is with you. (laughs) Some of you wish you didn't have to be and you're glad that God has to be. God is with us. There is a, um, there's a little portion of Matthew chapter one that we kind of read over, glance over, that is an extremely important thing about defining who he's with. Because in biblical times, in, in, in the time when Jesus was born, The Jewish people thought the Messiah was coming to them for them. And Matthew records this one little statement in there as evidence of prophecy being fulfilled. In the dream to Joseph, Joseph, being a good man, decided, hey, you know, Mary's telling me one whale of a story here about being pregnant by God. And I'm going to do the very nice thing and put her away quietly. I don't want to ruin her reputation. I don't want anything bad to happen to her. I love her, but I can't deal with this. An angel comes to Joseph and says, hey, Joseph, listen to me. She's, she's being honest with you. The child she has is from God. And he says, you'll call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. And then he says, you'll call him Emmanuel, which is a Hebrew term. Translated, it means God with us. I got to tell you a story. Um, 
I have had the opportunity over the last, really since about 2012, to travel a decent amount every every year except for the couple years of COVID. Um, I spend two or three weeks in Africa, uh, most of the time in Kenya, but I've been to places like Zimbabwe and Ghana and other places like that. And um, you start to realize that when, when you travel a little bit, you realize that a lot of the world speaks multiple languages. And, um, and what you find out is Americans typically speak one language. And when you get to another country, they'll say, um, do you speak uh, this language? And you'll say, no. And they'll say, oh, that's right. You're American. My Kenyan friends tell me, we speak the king's English, you speak American. Because I'll say, I speak English. They're like, no, you don't either. You don't speak English, you speak American. And not even that well. <laughs> I remember the first time I traveled to Africa, I had only been out of the country one other time. It was in 2004, I think, and I swore I would never do it again. And in 2012, I'm hopping on a plane um, Ethiopian Airlines, and I'm flying by myself to Zimbabwe. So I hop on this plane. I'm a grown man. I ain't afraid of nothing. I hop on this plane, and we land in, uh, in Ethiopia for a layover at a sabab. We, um, it's, a, it's a smaller airport. It's not like Heathrow or someplace like that where you got to take a bus train, all kinds of crazy, huge thing. No, it's a pretty small airport. But I got off the plane. My, my um, boarding pass was in English because I started in Dulles Airport. My boarding pass is in English. So I have no idea what I'm doing, man. I'm just like, Lord, if you're with me, show it right now because I don't know what I'm doing. So I get off the plane. I walk up to the first person that looks like they work there. And I went, hey, man, I don't know where I'm going. Here's my boarding pass. And he just went like this. He didn't even look at me. I thought, well, I'll walk down this way. I walked down as far as I could the way he pointed, and there wasn't anything going on where he pointed. So I handed my boarding pass to somebody else, and I said, hey, I don't know where I'm going, but this is my plane. Can you tell me where to go? And they just pointed the other way. And, and so I started walking the other way. And then I finally, I'm panicking at this point. I'm thinking, Lord, and this is before iPhones, this is before I had an iPhone that you could carry to another country. So I had a flip phone that that was like $7 a minute. So I'm like, I'm not lost enough first to admit it. Come on, man. It's going to take a little while. And I'm not lost enough to spend $100 calling my wife, which she doesn't know where I am. I didn't know anybody else to call. And so I just thought, God, man, I don't, the signs weren't in English. There was nothing going on. And so I just started making my way until I found this large group of people. And I thought, finally. So I walk up and there's an older gentleman who I've traveled with since then named Alan. He's probably in his late seventies at that point in time. I walk up, no joke, no joke. He walks straight up to me and goes, Chris, and I thought, Alan? I said that, Alan? Because I knew he was, I, I knew who was going on this. I'd never met the guy before in my life. Never seen him before in my life. But he walks up to me, he goes, Chris? And I went, thank the Lord, my God. 
somebody understands me, somebody believes in me, somebody's rescued me. That's what happened. Everybody knew I couldn't speak the language. Everybody knew it. Matter of fact, everybody knew it. After three and a half weeks of being in, being in Zimbabwe, it was time for me to go home. And um, uh, the, one, of the, one of the founders of the ministry I was with, him and his brother, dropped me off at the airport right outside of Harare. And, um, and I thought, man, I, I kind of know what I'm doing. I'm a seasoned traveler. I made it here. So he drops me off at the airport, and I, um, I got to walk in the airport. I still have a boarding pass in English, by the way. And I still look like I look. So I walk up, I walk into the airport, and I walk up to the first lady I see. And I said, hey, ma'am, um, my flight, this is my flight. I don't, I don't know what I'm, what I'm doing. Can you direct me to where I'm supposed to go? And she looks at me with pity in her eyes, and she says, uh, in, a, in a Zimbabwean accent, and she says, oh, honey, that flight's not flying today. And I thought, the guy left. I didn't even have his phone number. I spent three and a half weeks with him, had no way to contact him. And I'm like, oh, no, that can't, that can't be. And all the life had just run out of me. I'm, I don't know how to call anybody. I don't know where to go. I can't read anything. And I'm like, oh, that can't be. And she goes, no, I'm just kidding. I said, you saw me when I got out of the car, didn't you? She went, yep. Yep, I saw you when you got out of the car. I thought, those jokes aren't as funny translated. Um, now when I travel, I, the first thing I do is when I land at an airport, no matter where it is in the world, I look up. And when the signs to the gates in the terminals have English included in them, I'm like, thank you, Lord. The gospel's made it here. No, but it, it makes it easier for me to, to, to flow through. I don't have to worry about, I could just look up and, and, you know, you got a short layover, you can just get at it. You don't have to ask anybody. You just figure it out. You just look up and you read the signs. It's important to have things translated to you, amen? It's really important. The American psyche, though, is that everything is already translated to us. It's kind of the way we operate. It's just, well, it should be translated in America, into English, for God's sakes, we're America. We were in, um, we were in Germany and, uh, this year, and me and my wife are walking to these shops, and we're just like, hello. And you say it louder so that everybody can understand. And you just realize how kind of helpless you are in circumstances when you don't understand what's happening. So thankful that Matthew, writing a book to predominantly Jewish audience, feels the need to translate Emmanuel. Right at the beginning, before he actually gets into Jesus being born, even in the dream, he says, Emmanuel, translated, means God with. Imagine if that translation never came through. Imagine if one culture just kept it to itself. 
We don't want anybody else to understand this. No, but Matthew right up front says, translated. This was a name worth translating. This was a name worth making sure everybody knew it was for them. In every language, in every, in every way, it's, it's worth being translated. I came across the Charles Spurgeon. They called him the Prince of Preachers. Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon on December 26, 1875, and he said this. Those words, being interpreted, salute my ear with such sweetness. Why should the word Emmanuel in the Hebrew be interpreted at all? Was it not to show that it has reference to us Gentiles? And therefore, it must needs be interpreted into one of the chief languages of the then existing Gentile world, namely the Greek. This being interpreted at Christ's birth and the three languages employed in the inscription upon the cross at his death show that he is not the savior of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. He came to save us. No matter what language you speak, no matter where you're from, no matter, no matter what the color of your skin is, no matter where you find yourself this morning, he came to be with you. Right up front, Matthew says. We're not just going to hold on to this little, this amazing thing. We're going we're gonna to interpret it for everybody. We're going to let everybody know and then you fast forward to Jesus' death and the inscription on the cross, the king of the Jews. It was also translated into Aramaic and, and, and Greek, Latin. It was translated. So why? why? Because Jesus didn't come to be with a couple people. He came to be with us. And the beautiful thing is whatever country I'm standing in, whatever tribe of people I'm hanging out with, whatever, whatever nationality they are, I can say the same exact statement. God came to be with us. And whatever group of people that encompasses, it's true. And Matthew says, he is with us. And that name is worth translating in every language. Now, here's the issue. Here's the issue. I don't believe it's just a language that God intended to translate that into. We talked last week about, about that old people will dream dreams and young people will dream visions. Can the modern day American church translate God with us to a younger generation? Can his mom and dads, can we translate that to kids? Can his spouses, can we translate it to each other? Can we go to work and translate it to our, to our coworkers? When we, when we hear something tragic on TV, can we, can we translate it to people like that? Can we translate it to people suffering from addiction? Can we translate it for, pe- for people that think politically different than you do? Is it worth translating to people who don't think like us because we think we think well it's definitely worth translating to other cultures sure they should they should be able to hear it but but can you translate it to people who haven't treated you well can you translate it to people 
who've done you wrong? Can you translate it to people who don't appreciate you? Can you translate it to people that, that have ignored you? Can you translate it? God is still with us. That includes you. That includes you because Jesus, Jesus coming to earth would be the, would be the, would be the example of what, of what God was. He, he wasn't the example. He was God. The full deity of God wrapped up in human flesh bound by human necessities like eating and drinking and going to the bathroom. Yes, even Jesus. <laughs> that message should be translated everywhere. What are we translating? We're actually translating that God came to us. You do realize the Christmas story is not about humanity being so confident of who we were that we got an ambassador and we sent him up to God and they said, hey, the human, the human race feels pretty good about themselves and, and so we're, we're asking that God would send a representative down to hang out with us. No, the Christmas story is because God loved us in spite of us. When we could do nothing to affect our condition, when it was sin and condemnation is what we were living in, while we were sinners, God came to us. John 1, 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. So he's with us. He has been since Jesus crossed the barrier between the divine and the, and the natural. When he, when he came into the earth through a virgin, when he was, when he was swaddled in that manger, when, he, when he, he broke the barriers and he came to us, he was fully God and fully human, and yet he was around us. The beautiful thing is he wasn't hiding. The beautiful thing is, He's available. He's with us. The very definition of that statement, with us, doesn't mean we have to look for him anymore. It doesn't mean we have to search for him or, or, try to, or try to find out where he is located. Because if you say somebody's with you, then there's an expectation that they're with you. You wouldn't walk up to somebody and go, hey, where's Billy? He's with me. Where? No, 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 he's right here. If you do that and he's not standing there, we're going to start thinking some, think a little bit about you maybe. But with God, we can say, no, no, no. I don't have to find him. He's with me. He's not, a, he's not God that I have to chase down. He's not, he's not God that I've got to go searching for. He's with us. The beautiful thing is he showed us how to be with people. He showed us how and who he was going to be with. He showed us when he was walking the earth. He'd say stuff like, Zacchaeus, I'll just come hang out at your house tonight. And everybody was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Zacchaeus is a dirty tax collector, man. Why would you be hanging out with him? Because I'm with him. Woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, that no upstanding good Jewish man would ever have a conversation with. How do we know he comes to people who don't believe the same thing because he was with her. Because he 
hung out with her at a well and had a conversation. How do we know he comes to tax collectors and accountants and IRS agents? How do we know that? Because he'd eat dinner with them. Because he'd hang out with them. How do we know he comes to the, to the sick because he, because he was with them? How do we know who it's translated to? Because we look at the life of Jesus and we see who he was with. And now we can look around the room and we can say, hey, he, look at the people in here. He's with us. We can look online and at Berkeley Springs and we can say, hey, who does he hang out? He's with us. He is with us. That's totally different. Now, I would venture to say that some of you, God being with you might make you a little nervous. <laughs> I remember growing up and um, doing some things that I didn't want my parents to be with me. Come on, anybody? Remember being a teenager? Yeah. Um, listen, teenagers, can I give you a tip if you're a teenager in here? Put your phone down. Because we didn't take pictures of it. 46 years old, and I'm trying to figure out. Parents, close your ears. I'm trying to give some real... Real advice here for growing up. We didn't take pictures of it, so if our parents weren't with us, we couldn't get in trouble. Anybody else remember those days where you had to get the camera out, put the film in it? Everybody's like, put it away, put it away. My parents aren't here. I don't want to leave any evidence. Now it's like, hey, everybody smile. When teenagers pull out the phone, I walk away. I'm like, I don't want to get caught. I didn't even do anything. I don't want to get caught. I'm like, my parents are going to see this online. I'm just standing here doing nothing, but I'm guilty. <laughs> John 3.16, so let me back up. Matthew 1.18 tells us that, that it's a name worth being translated because it's so important that everybody understand he came for everybody. John, John 1 says, says that he came and was with us, dwelt with us, so that everybody has access to him, and he's with everybody. Amen? But then John 3.17 tells us why he's with us. And this is one of the most important Christmas messages ever, although it doesn't seem to be in the Christmas message. The, the problem is, is that for a lot of us, we've treated God like an inspector. Anybody work in a job where you have a state or federal regulatory uh, body over you? Anybody have a job where you work like that? Don't you love those people? They're the sweetest. You know, maybe they come to your place of work every year or every six months. And, and they show up to do what? Tell you what you've done wrong. I happen to know a few of these people, and mm, I warned a good friend of mine that I was going to do this, and they're in the service this morning, so I still love them. But they, they very rarely show up and put their arm around you and say, I'm not here to, to condemn you, but here to set you free. That's not their message. It's not. Their message is they show up with a clipboard, 
They've got a list. They already know what you've done wrong. They're like Santa Claus. They already, and they're just walking in the room and they're going, huh. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh. I'm going to have to come back for this one. Yep. You might want to get your wallet out. That one's going to hurt. And it feels like they're just there to tell you all the stuff you didn't get right. You know what the problem with a lot of people is? We've bought into the idea that Jesus coming to earth was like God's regulatory department coming to check on us to tell us all the things we've done wrong. It even plays out in the lure of Christmas with Santa knowing what you did right and wrong. And the good kids, which we were all good kids, get gifts and the bad kids get what? Coal, which is environmentally unfriendly and we're going to do something different this year. Shame on you to give kids coal. So what happens is we relate to the only thing we can relate to, which is condemnation. Because that's the way our culture, that's the way the punitive system of our culture works. We very rarely work on the front end. So all we have is the back end. And so we have to condemn people in order to try to get people to be right. You better behave or Santa won't bring you anything. You better do right, or they're going to show up and tell you what you've done wrong. You better straighten up. And so we use this, this is, this is our culture. We use punitive language, and we use condemnation. And the unexpected part of God coming to earth is he had the right to do all of those things. And yet John 3.17 says, he did not come into the world to... We don't know what to do with that. We don't know what to do with that. Because when the perfect federal inspector shows up, you know condemnation is coming. For God did not send his son into the world to what? He didn't come to condemn us. He didn't come to condemn us. Look at your neighbor and say, that's not what he came for. That's not what he came for. I don't care what you feel right now. I don't care. He didn't come for that. I don't don't care what you've been told. He didn't come for that. He didn't come for that. Here's the main reason he didn't come for that, because we were already condemned. What's he going to just come reinforce us going to hell? I just want to show up and make sure you knew you were wrong. Yeah. I just want to show up to make sure you knew you didn't get it all right. (laughs) That's some of why y'all got married, some of you. (laughs) Whoa. Like, I ain't done anything right in 30 years. Could you imagine having an interpretation of God, God with us, and looking at it through the lens of the only reason he's with me is to point it all out. It's to make sure to reconfirm what I already think about myself, that I'm not enough, that I never get it right. 
That's what people tell me already. That's why I've struggled the whole time. That's what, that's what, could you imagine having a view of God where he's just coming to condemn? But the story of Christmas, the reason we translate it, we don't translate Emmanuel, God with us, because he's coming to condemn us. The reason it's worthy of translation, the reason it's worthy of interpreting for people is because the God who could condemn us comes not to do that. The only one that has the right to come in and condemn everybody tells us right up front, that's not why I'm here. And that changes things. That changes things. God with us. Now I'm not afraid anymore. Now I'm not afraid of God finding out. It's not like, it's not like your parents. It's not like your boss. It's not like, it's not like the feds. The truth is, he already knew, and he came anyway. Oh, that's where it gets us. Because we don't have anywhere to put that type of mentality. The idea that you could know and still come to save. The idea that you had it all, it's all laid out before, and we don't hide anything. The idea that he could know everything we could ever do, think, say, do every evil thought. He could know all that before and yet still come with no condemnation. And it's not no condemnation as in, I'm not going to judge anybody. No, 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 no. He's not indifferent. He's not just throwing up his hands and going, I just came here to hang out. Y'all ain't going to get any better. Just thought I'd give you some company on the ride to hell. No, it wasn't that. God wasn't indifferent. He loved us so much, knowing all that we were, the mess we were in, knowing all of that, he came not to reinforce the mess, but to save us from it. You know why that's so unexpected for us? Because we very rarely had anybody come into our life and just offer a way out. There's rarely been anybody physically on this earth, human presence on this earth that have just walked in our lives and said, hey man, I'm not gonna condemn you. I'm gonna give you a way out. Doesn't happen. I forgive you only to bring it up later. You can, you know, you're gonna be okay only, only, to, only to bring it. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know how to respond to it. The unexpectedness of God, the one who could condemn us coming and saying, I'm not doing that. We see the way it plays out in scripture over and over and over again where he shows up in people's lives and and they're waiting on him to be religious. They're waiting on him to condemn them because that's what religious people do. Religious people remind sinners that they're going to hell. Somebody has to tell them. And we figured it out. So the first thing we're going to do is remind you because that's what God does. Unfortunately, it's not. The Christmas story is about God revealing himself to us through Jesus. Coming to earth, 
being with us, not to condemn us, but to save us. The unexpected part of Christmas is that that's the way God showed up. Galatians 4, 3, Paul writes this, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. He said, when we were kids, we were doing what everybody else does. We were sinners, enslaved to that way of thinking. But when the fullness of time had come, Mary. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. He was born into an already condemned world. Amen? Sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Redeem those who were already condemned so that we might receive adoption as sons. Condemnation is the human pathway to change. Think about it. If you do this, I will punish you. That's the way we all grew up, wasn't it? If you do this, I'm going to whoop your butt. Yeah. That's shocking. If you do this, these are the consequences. If you do this, these are the consequences. If you do this, these, this was, if you do this. And I'm not against all that stuff. But it, that's all we have. That's all we have. If we, if the human race, if, the, if humanity had anything else to offer people other than condemnation, don't you think it would look different? Don't you think it would look different? If we could do anything other than condemn, don't you think there would be less addiction? Don't you think there'd be less crime and less violence? Don't you think it would look different? But because that's all we have, we're working with what we got. We're just over here trying it as hard as we can. Oh, well, if they do this, we'll just punish them. We'll punish them out of it. And I am, listen, don't, don't look up here and say, Pastor just went soft on crime. I heard it. I'm going to put it on Twitter. I'm going to put it on Twitter. He's soft on crime. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's all we have. Because in and of ourselves, we can't offer anybody freedom. But we can interpret. We can interpret. We can look at them and say, hey, listen, all you've experienced is, is what humanity has to offer, condemnation. I want to introduce you to God. He is with us. And he has come to do something humanity can't do. He's come to give us life. See, what, you, what, you've, what some of you have experienced here is everything except God. You've experienced everything except God, which is, which is by definition condemnation. It's the, way, it's the way society works. You don't agree with this, condemned. You don't uh, condemn. You don't do this, condemned, 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 condemned. We can't even disagree on a topic now without being condemned. We call it canceling. Still starts with a C. We can't even, it's gone to the place where we can't even have a conversation without condemning each other. But the church stands up in the middle of that world and we say, let me, 
Let me interpret something for you. Emmanuel. Teenager, I'm going to tell you what it looks like in your culture. I'm going to tell you what it looks like in your culture, in your culture. We're going to just interpret it. We're going to start interpreting for everybody. Everybody's just used to condemnation. Everybody's just used to the way it works. Hey, the shocking, unexpected part of God is he's the one that came and said, I'm not going to condemn you. But what I'm going to do is save you. Jesus played this out. We've used this story several times in the last month. He plays it out with the woman caught in adultery. All the religious men standing around this lady, um, she's caught. The Bible doesn't really say she wasn't doing it. It doesn't say it was made up. It said she was caught, caught in adultery. And so however that happened, there's men standing around her doing what humans do. Doing what humans do. They picked up rocks. Jesus walks into the circumstance. God with us walks right into the middle of them. And they start telling him what the story is. Hey, she was called adultery. It's time for condemnation. It's time for the punishment. It's time for her to get what's coming to her. Jesus says, anybody here that hasn't sinned, go ahead and throw a stone. I don't know what he wrote on the ground. He wrote some stuff on the ground. Might have been a shopping list. I don't know what it was. But it was enough. It says one by one, all the religious men started to walk away. Jesus looks down at her and says, Hey, uh, is there anybody left here to condemn you? Anybody left here to do what people do to each other? She said, No. And the fulfillment of John chapter 3, verse 17 happens right there in front of that woman. And he says this, Neither do I. Neither do I. So listen to me. Stand to your feet. I want you to think about this for a second. We're going to wrap it up here one week before Christmas. I don't care what you've done. You may be suffering consequences for what you've done. That's a whole other sermon. I'm talking about condemnation. I'm talking about you are still worth God being with. He came, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in today, he came knowing that already. He came knowing what you've done. He came knowing with a full knowledge of who you are. He came and still said, I am not going to condemn you. I'm coming to save you. I'm coming to save you. He knows you ain't hidden. You haven't hidden anything from him. He already knows. And he still said, call him Emmanuel. Call him God with us. Because it's just like people like us that he comes and stands beside and he whispers in our ears, is there anybody left to condemn you? And we have to look up at him and go, man, I don't see anybody left. And then the one fear we still have is that the God of all the universe will put his finger down on us and go, yeah, but I'm still. And the God of all creation leans over and whispers in our ear, me neither. Me neither. Me neither. So church, listen to me. Just close your, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I just want you to close your eyes and contemplate for a second. One week before Christmas, God himself came to us to rescue us. I don't know where you are. 
in your relationship with him. I don't know if you've ignored him, if you've walked away from him, acted like he wasn't with you. But listen to me, he did not come. He did not come to heap further guilt or shame or condemnation on you. That's what we're good at. He came to do something we can't do. And that was to make you free, to save you, to give you eternal life. So I'm begging you this morning, don't take another Christmas where you ignore that gift, where you ignore that offer. You can't get it anywhere else under any other circumstances. Him and Him alone. He's the one that came to be with us and to save us, that through Him we can be saved. I'm begging you this morning to take advantage of that. He can wipe away in the next 30 seconds. He can wipe away all guilt, all shame, all condemnation. That's what he came to do. So I'm asking you today to take advantage of it, to walk out of here a free person, a free person that God himself has said, neither do I, that he will save you in this moment right now. Take advantage of it. Leave a new person. Leave redeemed, leave saved, leave made new. Leave without any condemnation from here on out because he has given you new life. Amen? Father, that's what we ask. We ask you. You're already with us, Lord. Now we ask you to transform us by your grace and your mercy. Declare over us, Lord, right now we are no longer condemned. We've been made new in you. You've rescued us, you've saved us, and you've set us free, Lord. And we thank you for that this morning. And we pray it in that translated name. The name above all names, Jesus. Amen and amen. Come on, be set you free this morning. Give it.